Hi, I'm Trevor Cochran and this is The Garden Gurus Live, a weekly show where I'll share seasonal gardening advice, feature a variety of gardeners from all across Australia and give listeners the opportunity to interact and ask your garden questions. To join the chat live and ask your gardening questions, all you need to do is like our Facebook page and tune in every week. This program is brought to you by The Garden Gurus and Scott's Performance Naturals. Scott's Performance Naturals is the 100% natural and sustainable way to grow and feed your garden. Backed by years of research and developed by scientists, the technology employed enhances natural processes, allowing extra strong growth. The Performance Naturals range contains organic materials such as Nature-N, blood and bone, seaweed, biostimulants, manure and feather meal to improve the soil and encourage microbial and earthworm activity. To find out more about the Scott's Performance Naturals range, head to lovethegarden.com.au. Hello and welcome to The Garden Guru's Love. I'm Trevor Cochran. Sorry, we've had a few little technical challenges this morning, but we're up and running and we've got a whole bunch of garden questions to answer for you today. Um, there's a couple of great interviews I've got coming up for you as well. We'll be catching up with Andrew from Love the Garden. We're talking about this significant problem that's occurring for many people with indoor plants just at the moment, and that is a lot of little fungus gnats appearing. Andrew's got a great solution for that. We'll talk about indoor plants more generally. I'm also catching up with a really good friend of mine from New York City, Lisa Adams. Lisa and I have been friends for many, many years. She's a private cook to some very significant families, the Clintons, uh, to Steve Martin, the actor, and she produces some of the most amazing food. It all comes from fresh produce, which we'll talk about. We've got competitions for you. You'll have a chance to win some Fothergill seeds, which I have got sitting right here, and that is one good thing. Plus... It's all about answering your gardening questions. That's the most important thing. So please post them. There's a lot flowing through right at this moment in time. So we will um, get around to answering them. Just before we do, uh, it's not often that this actually happens, but uh, Perth is the second coldest place in the country this morning. Uh, normally we've had some quite sort of lovely sunny days, but we've really had the cold weather. And of course, many of our friends right across the country have experienced this. We're at 10.7 degrees here. It's 9.8 in Hobart, 10.8 in Canberra. And if you're in Adelaide, 15.4. Melbourne is 13.3 and Sydney, 14.9. Now, for those particular regions, it really does highlight we are in winter big time. And this is your chance to ask questions about how to get the best results from your plants in cool and challenging conditions. It is a really unique season and needs to be managed in a certain way. I'll share some tips with you. If you're in Darwin, it's 27.9 at the moment and 20.3 in Brisbane. It's a little bit warmer in those places, but of course, we are beaming out to you through our Facebook page, through the Love the Garden Facebook page, and of course, through our YouTube channel. And if you've got any questions, let us know where you're from. So what state you're from and what city you're from, and that will really help me when it comes to answering your specific gardening questions. We're going to start in Victoria, and it has been very cool in Vic. Mandy is in Carrum Downs, and she's asked the best place to plant a camellia in your garden and do they have a big root system? Now, it does vary by camellia variety. Some camellias are a little bit more compact. Some are weeping. 
But the majority of them, the Sasanquas, the Reticulatas, and um, the Japonicas, they tend to have quite a good vigorous root system, not an invasive system. So they once they've got established, they really do have a good hold of the ground that they're in, but they're not going to invade and break down pipes or walls. In saying that, give them a, a bit of space. So you want a, a probably a good metre uh, circumference and plant in the middle of that and that should be enough so I hope that answers your question Maz is an old friend from Ipswich in Queensland hello Maz when's the best time to plant potatoes and melons well look in Queensland potatoes definitely now melons probably not until August September um, I hope that answers your questions Alan's in Adelaide um, how do you make pear trees fruit well let me just say I love a nice pear this time of the year pears when they're poached and cooked they're just delicious i had some on the weekend just enjoy them there's some of them that are being uh, harvested right at the moment but the trick with pears is you do have to make sure that they've got a cross pollinator so you need to have at least two different pear varieties ideally um, that they're flowering at exactly the same time of the year that's really the key now, the varieties will vary depending on where you are, and the best thing to do is to pop into your local garden centre and say, look, I'm looking for some cross-pollinators. Usually there's some universals, so um, the 20th century is a nashi, and that'll fruit generally all through the or flower all through the season, which makes it a good cross-pollinator with most other varieties. But talk to your local garden centre about what works in your local area. Trina's in Western Sydney. Hello, Trina. It's great to have you with us. You run a community garden and you'd love to know the best veggies to plant in the shade. Well, veggies in shade can be quite challenging because most veggies do love a lovely full sun position. But in saying that, a lot of the root vegetables do quite well in shady um, shady positions. And, and look, it's a really important thing to keep in mind that the ones that have got lots of foliage, so the brassica family, um, tend to do quite well if they've got a bit of semi-shade. But as a general comment, you really do want to have um, sort of more of, I suppose, the leafier type of veggies in those shady positions. Things like lettuce, um, they will all do a pretty good job. Um, folks, if you're like the questions as we answer them, make sure you hit your like button. Um, that way you'll share it with your friends who can also watch us this morning. Lucy is in North Burnett in Queensland. How do I get rid of grasshoppers? They're everywhere in the garden. Now, there are baits for grasshoppers and there are also some kind of bug sprays that you can get. The trick with them really is to bring in the predators. So you ideally want to have birds coming in because they will take out grasshopper populations quite quickly in the juvenile stage if you can attract them into your garden. So ideally getting sort of seed um, in around the, you know, seed um, feeders in around the garden will bring a lot more birds in, a lot more activity, and that should help bring down your grasshopper populations naturally. It's particularly the birds like butcher birds, um, uh, magpies, even crows, they'll, they'll make short work of grasshoppers. So those are the ones that you do want to try and encourage in. Um, Fiona is in Gilliston Heights in New South Wales. Can you use lawnmower clippings like sugarcane mulch? And the answer is no, but they are good for the garden. So lawn clippings are full of nitrogen and um, they're a very good source of organic. Sugarcane mulch is a dry um, mulch material and they both will work quite differently. Once you re-wet your lawn clippings, they will saturate and they'll sort of create almost like a clump and you don't want that. The best thing to do with your lawnmower clippings is either very lightly sprinkle them, sprinkle them over the surface of the soil, so you don't want any more than 
maybe one or two millimeters depth, and that'll allow worms to pull them up and and consume them and then turn them into fertilizer, or use them in with dry materials in your compost heap. That's a really good way to go. Wendy, we're not sure where you're from. Oh, yes, we do. We can work it out from your question. Where can you grow proteas on the Gold Coast and where can you buy them? Can't find them anywhere. Well, look, Garden Express is probably the easiest way because they'll deliver them direct to your doorstep. The answer is yes, you can grow them on the Gold Coast, but there is a trick. So humidity can sometimes be a problem with proteas. So the trick is to plant them and give them extra spacing. What you don't want them to do is to eventually grow into each other because that's when they become vulnerable to some of those leaf fungal infections. And um, there's also a couple of bacterial infections that will affect them quite badly. So to avoid that, keep them separated, make sure they've got good airflow through them. So don't go planting anything around the base as well. Allow good airflow to move through and they'll do pretty well on the Gold Coast. There's some really good examples. Some varieties are certainly better than others but proteas as a general comment will grow there. Now, Lucy, I'm glad you've asked this question. You've dug up my Yarkon. How do I store the tubers? Now, this is what Yarkon tubers look like, okay? And where you store them, well, you need to keep them chilled. It's really important. They'll last for a long time if you chill them. We'll talk about Yarkon. It's my plant of the week. Well done on that particular uh, question. Sue is in Portland and she's got a lemon tree that hasn't grown lemons yet. You've had it for six years. That is a very unusual thing, Sue. Lemons should be producing every year and some varieties once or twice a year at least. What I would recommend you do is that you look at um, just causing a little bit of damage to the bark on the base of the tree on one side. Now, what I mean by that is getting a sec of tears out, just cutting a little V into it and just pulling a little section of bark out. This should trigger the tree into producing fruit. The only time I've ever seen citrus not produce fruit is usually when they're fed too much and given too much water. And it's that old story about being fat and happy. They don't need to reproduce, so therefore they don't necessarily need to go into flower. They can put all that energy into growth. But what is most likely occurring here, I suspect, is that the rootstock has grown up through the base of the original lemon tree and has taken over. And it should, if it is, it should look like it's got some thorns on it. It should have a different leaf shape to a lemon tree. And when it does start producing fruit, they're not going to be very nice. They tend to be very bitter. Um, so it's a bit hard to tell without seeing a picture. And this is one of the lessons with Facebook Live is that you can send us a picture. So make sure if you've got something and you're looking for it to be identified, send us a pic. We'll have a look at it and uh, hopefully I can help you out. Jan Morrissey's in Ipswich, Queensland. Hi, Jan. It's great to have you back with us. We've got a lot of old friends back with us today, which is great to see. When planting in pots, does it matter if you use garden soil instead of potting mix? Now, this is a great question, Jan, and the answer is absolutely yes. Now, potting mixes are designed for, for you know, obviously being put into containers, and they the design of them is actually a real science. They use a combination of organic materials and sands or, or particles that allow good airflow and moisture flow. Drainage is vitally important in a pot. And um, that's why you would go for a potting mix. Now, you can get cheap potting mixes and you can get expensive potting mixes. And most of the reason why their prices will vary gets down to them being composted organics. So the organics should be composted down. If they're raw, they'll actually take 
um, fertilizer away from your plant in the pot and you'll see your plants turn yellow. Cheap potting mixes are just a no-go. A good potting mix generally will have a wetting agent in it, it'll have controlled release fertilizer, it'll have trace elements and it'll have all these other goodies that really make sure that you're getting the best results. And if you're looking for a great one, this is one that I use all the time, it's Performance Naturals. But if you're using it indoors, well there's a fantastic one that we will talk to Andrew Carrigan about very soon that will solve a lot of problems that a lot of people are having. But before we do that, I'm going to get through three more questions. Francis is in uh, Corumburra in Victoria. Why can't I buy yellow alisum anymore? Thank you. It's nice. It's nice to be back. You haven't seen us for a long time. That's fantastic to have you back with us, Francis. Thank you for joining us today. Um, the yellow alisum is quite rare to see, actually, in garden centres. Now, my experience with it in the past has been that it's not a very vigorous, um, robust kind of plant, and I reckon that that's probably why the growers are not producing a lot of them. They're still out there for sure, so keep your eye out there, but um, you will find it quite difficult at times um, to get your hands on them. Typically, you'd probably find them in the sort of September period of time. So have a look in your local garden centre then. Jody is in Manila in New South Wales. We get quite a few questions coming out of Manila. And um, this one's a ripper. When do I prune an apricot tree? When do I spray for fruit fly? And what do I use? Well, the time to prune apricot trees is now. In fact, all of your deciduous trees in the next month all need to be pruned. And different trees need to be pruned in different ways. Generally, apricots fruit off second year wood. So when you're looking to prune your tree, you're only looking to shape it to make it easy for you to pick and to reduce the amount of wood so that a lot of energy goes into producing the fruit. That's the first trick. And um, vase style pruning is usually the, 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 the common sort of technique we use. Um, when it comes to um, fruit fly, um, fruit fly you're not going to need to worry about until probably September in New South Wales, at which point you do need to spray. And there are a number of different fruit fly baits and sprays that are available. But what is vitally important that I have learned from what's available to use these days is that you actually use them in combination. So any one of them by themselves doesn't seem to do the job. So baits, fruit fly, traps um, and sprays, if you can use all three of them, in a rotational technique, you will get control of fruit fly and you will get a nice crop, but you have to be very vigilant, basically, as soon as the fruit starts to get close to its full size. Leanne is in Melbourne. Hello, Leanne. I've got three Cymbidium orchid pots, but only one spike's developed and and to almost it's almost in flower. Um, you don't know what if you're doing something right or wrong. They're under shade cloth getting some morning dappled sun. There is a trick with Cymbidium orchids um, for everybody. Take this one on board. If you've got them in pots and not producing uh, flowers, it's because you're keeping them in shade, in a shade environment. They really benefit sort of around about March, ideally, depending on where you are and how hot the conditions are. They benefit from direct light. It really is really important to get direct sunlight at that period of time. It's very hard because you don't want to burn the foliage, but um, it, you know if you're getting really strong summer conditions still at that point in time, you will need to keep them protected. But direct morning sunlight is the trigger for new flowers to come out. So what I would do is I'd leave them now. I'd leave them probably till about August, September. And that's when most Cymbidium orchids will have finished flowering. And at that point in time, I would split them in half. I'd break them up, 
put them into some fresh potting mix. Now make sure you get that really good quality Osmocote um, Orchid potting mix. It really does make the world of difference to the results you get. And then um, I would basically only then apply a liquid fertilizer once a month between basically sort of August, September, right through until February, March. I then move them out into the sunlight and by May, you will see a lot of flower spikes start appearing. In fact, you should probably see anywhere between three to five per plant. That's what a good, healthy Cymbidium orchid's going to do. Whew, how's that for a start? So let's maybe catch up with our, our good friend, Andrew Carrigan. Andrew is the technical director at Evergreen Garden Care, and we're very fortunate to have their support to bring this show to you each week. Andrew, thanks for joining us this morning. How are you going? Good. Good to see you, Trevor. Thanks for having good me on. It's, um, it's a little bit on the cooler side in, uh, in New South Wales just at the moment, and that's changed everything for gardening. A lot of people are staying inside at the moment. It has been. Uh, last week, in fact, I think we had the coldest day on record um, on the Thursday. So it was down to a maximum, I think, of about nine degrees in Sydney. It was a wow. pretty cold day, actually. Yeah. Yeah, you really feel it at that time. And I'm talking to a lot of friends who are in, particularly in central and northern New South Wales, um, finding, you know, like a, a very good friend of mine, she uh, has a farm north of Sydney. And they had snow. She's actually Canadian, and I thought she was sending me photos of Canada, but I realised actually her farm covered in snow. So it's a it's a game changer when you're getting that cold, isn't yeah. it? Oh, absolutely. And then with that comes the winds, and with the winds comes the dehydration of plants. So even with your indoor environment at the moment, we're seeing increased heater activity. And those plants, which we know uh, love the humidity around their, their leaves, they're in a very dry and tough environment at the moment indoors. So it's something to sort of consider as well with the uh, cooler temperatures outside. We also have our plants on the inside with these heaters going and it's quite the opposite effect to them, which um, you really need to consider when you're gardening. It's such a good yeah. point because um, many of those plants originate from subtropical sort of environments, certainly rainforest environments, so they're used to high humidity. And you're right, we yeah. turn the heaters on. What do we do? We dry the air out, don't we? Dry the air out, exactly. Mm. Um, look, some of the things that we would sort of recommend is that you do a rotational basis with your plants. If you're in a particularly cold uh, southern climate, uh, you might want to put them in a protected area, but outside just for a short period of time, on a rotational basis and make sure you're keeping up the watering as well because the, the dry air will certainly allow the plant to take up more water as well and transpire as well. So just considering that you take your plants out and rotate them for a period of time and then bring them back in. And it's also good for building strength within the cells of the plant with that increased light that they're getting. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's an interesting thing I'm seeing at the moment. Um, on the weekend, it was my... Um, my son's 16th birthday and we had a um, we had a, a family function at a place where there was lots of indoor plants and um, one of the most uh, frustrating things is when you're eating your food and little black flies are flying around the outside all day we were doing this like, like this and it's um, it is really frustrating that's those fungus gnats now that's a, a common yeah. problem with bark based potting mixes isn't it it is uh, look it, it happens to a lot of uh, nurseries to commercial growers uh, to these lovely venues that we go into, we use uh, composted materials, primarily pine bark in Australia. 
And so what you do find with pine bark is that the organic acids that build up, um, which are released uh, from the composting phase, they're very attractive to this fungus snap fly. They're actually there purposely mining the mycelia which will populate within the, the substrate. So we recognise that as a company and we know that the boom is on for everyone to grow indoor plants again. And look, what we have built is a product that you might commonly see in the Northern Hemisphere, which is a pine bark less mix. So we have things like peat, um, coir, which is quite familiar to a lot of your, your listeners. Um, yep. And we put in things like perlite. And we've now even got our substrate, which we call um, envirofiber, which is a um, expanded wood material. So this is light. These are light materials, fluffy materials, but most importantly, they're inert in that they're they're mined materials, so they've come from the coconut tree or from the peat source um, or perlite, which is volcanic rock, which is being superheated. So they're all inert in that if you're composting something, you're able to uh, attract these insects far easier, but with an inert product, um, less susceptible. So that's where we can put with confidence a product together that we know will be less attractive or less prone to have these insects in them. Um, it's not to say that you won't ever get them, but if you have other pine bark um, potted plants within your house, do an inspection of them before you go and pot up with indoor potting mix, just so you know that you're not infecting your source, or indeed the plant that you're buying, just do an inspection of that plant to make sure that you're happy it doesn't contain um, the adult, which is the most noticeable thing, or even yep. if you've got magnifying glasses, you can try and spot the little larvae, which might be um, within the top part of the plant as well. Look, you know, I'm, we're just showing some vision at the moment of um, one of my favourite nurseries. This is Flora Plant Nursery. They're a grower in Western Australia that grows huge numbers of indoor plants, indoor flowering and indoor foliage plants. And um, this this is where we did a story using this potting mix. And it's a classic example. Their, their potting mixes are predominantly um, coir or cocoa peat-based mixes. And uh, they obviously do not – they have literally – tens of thousands, probably hundreds of thousands of plants in the nursery. There is not a sign of a fungus gnat. And when you talked about mycelium being the food source, for, for those folks who don't know what mycelium is, this, these are soil-borne fungus that um, provide food for these flies to come in and, and feed from. So that's why you get a build-up of population. And that's only available through some of those bark and, and also sawdust-based mixes sometimes as well. So... Mm. By changing to a mix like this, you're you're quite literally avoiding this problem occurring. So if you're experiencing um, fungus gnats, um, these little black flies flying around your house because you're introducing indoor plants, think about the potting mix and that should make a big difference to the final result. Totally. Uh, look, these are luxury ingredients as well. So they have a beautiful hand feel. The product is far lighter to handle. So if you're thinking about large potted plants in your house, it can be a challenge to actually move them around, move them inside and outside and and just to sit them in the right sort of pot that you want. So this is a great lightweight option. It's got a really good rate of fertilizer in there. So you're guaranteed that your plants are going to really you know, grow and bloom well. Um, and they should be fed well for at least six months after potting. And this, uh, this product overall has some fantastic ingredients in it, so the attributes will be long-lasting. Uh, they'll certainly serve the customer well for a variety of different indoor plants. Yep. 
Yeah, fantastic. Andrew, I, I get the feeling that you're working from home today because uh, yeah. your, uh, your, your cat's in the background uh, yeah. just making itself a nice new little home. These are the challenges, right? Yeah, <laughs> I think it's actually fishing around in one of the pots up there. Um, I've got a I've got a crazy lap cat, and it loves to be right next to me every moment I'm doing something. So I'm actually quite allergic to cats, and I'm always trying to tell it to get down. <laughs> Not this one; he's he's persistent. This is uh, Charlie in the background for any of your viewers there. I love it's, it. Uh, I love it. It's, it's always great to have animals appearing along the way. <laughs> hey. Um, you know, with indoor plants, there's there's a lot of challenges that do come along, and I think you probably highlighted the single biggest one at the moment. And uh, we've had a viewer raise this question: What's the biggest challenge with indoor plants? There's the single biggest one this time of the year is you know when we're running heaters inside, we're drying the air out, and the the drying effect on indoor plants is actually quite evident here. And I don't know whether you can see this, but we've got a big um, ficus lyrata here. And around the outside edges, we're just starting to get some browning on the edges of the leaves. And that's a classic yep. example of the, the atmosphere being too dry. So increasing yep. moisture does make a big difference. Yeah, it does. Um, look, we serve quite a few um, products and that which would be suitable. So ensure that if your potting mix is a little bit old, that you've updated the wetting agent. So have a look at a liquid wetting agent or a granular wetting agent. Have a look mm -hmm. at the, the condition that the plant's sitting in the environment. So even uh, washing your plant over with a nice wet cloth and ensuring that it's dust-free and then giving it a good drink every so often. So even though it's winter and like we've said with the, the warmer inside temperatures, give it a really good wet so that you can ensure that the plant's got plenty of moisture around its roots. Uh, this particular potting mix that we've been talking about, indoor potting mix, will certainly hold a lot more water than a standard pine bark mix. So pay, pay due diligence to this. Have a look at your plant. I'm sure it's not over wet or it's not too dry. So it's one of these hand feel things that we work with as indoor gardeners that we have to sort of take a little bit more observation to how the plant's looking. And if those brown edges start to appear, uh, really you need to sort of challenge whether it's got the right light, the right moisture level, um, and simply whether it needs a bit of a break outside because all plants are not standardly just indoor plants that do come from the outside and get put into our environments inside and they need a little bit more love and care in that regard just to make them look really good so so does that cat of yours mate he's uh he's having a lot of fun there that's that's quite funny hey um thanks he so much for the time outside actually <laughs> <laughs> mate thanks for joining us it's been uh, there's some really good points there it's been great chatting andrew and if anybody wants to, to learn more, obviously, Love the Garden is, um, is a great destination for some gardening advice, as well as obviously the Garden Gurus, where we, we do feature all your products, uh, the whole range of products that um, yeah. you'll find from Love the Garden, because they work and they deliver results and they make people feel better about their gardens. Mate, I'm, I'm so pleased that you and the cat could join us today. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much, Trevor, and to your team. Uh, it's always a pleasure. Look, a uh, few consumers, just to get out there and have a look uh, in your garden centres right now. And if you do come across the indoor potting mix, have a look at it. Have a you know, buy a bag. It's really worth the purchase. And I think you'll notice the difference when you do that for your indoor plants. Um, you'll certainly get a, a stronger performance out of your plant. Absolutely. There's no doubt about it, mate. So that's, that's Osmocote Indoor Plant potting mix yeah, keep nice. your eye out for it yeah. folks thanks so much mate thanks for joining us thank you all the best Bye -bye. Bye -bye.
Garden Express are Australia's leading mail-order gardening service, offering a wide range of quality garden products. Each week on the Garden Gurus Live, the team at Garden Express will share a weekly offer. So make sure after today's show, you jump online and visit their website. Got lots of questions building up, so we'll get through a few more before we go to my good friend, Lisa Adams. Now, Wilma is in Perth. Um, she buys rabbit poop. And a question is, what is best to compost it first or put it straight on top of the gardener's mulch? Now, if you're treating it as a mulch, it's fabulous. It is actually quite rich in nutrient rabbit poop. A lot of people look at it and think to themselves that it's like sheep manure. Sheep manure is actually very mild when it comes to nutrient levels, um, very high in organics. But rabbit actually has quite an intense nitrogen fix. So um, if you're going to just treat it as a thin layer over the top of the surface, um, it'll make a great mulch. So you should be fine. Jen is in lower chittering. Hi, Jen. Um, You've got some frangipani cuttings. What's the best way to plant them and can you put them straight in the ground? Well, right at the moment, my answer would be to put them into pots um, in, some, in some soil. Make sure that if you've cut them that they've dried off completely. Put them in pots. Make sure that the soil's moist but not too wet. They're not going to grow um, really until probably sort of October, November, and that's when new roots will start forming. So you could put them in now. You could actually leave them out for the whole of July, plant them at the end of July, and they will still drop roots and grow. So I hope that helps. Beryl is in Sydney. Is it possible to grow native Christmas bells in a pot and where are they available? All right. That's a good question because um, we're talking about a common name here. There's a few plants that get called Christmas bells. Um, I think if it's the one I'm thinking of, it will um, will grow in pots. Uh, garden centres are obviously your first stop and uh, that's probably the best I can do at this moment in time to help you, Beryl. Uh, Cherie is in Bunyip in Victoria. Hello, Cherie. It's great to have you back with us and thanks very much. It's good to see you back too. A few weeks ago, you asked Sue a question regarding your fiddle leaf fig leaves that got burnt by you misting them and then putting putting them far too close to the window. The question is, do I remove the leaves? And the answer is yes, you should remove the leaves. Um, they will grow a little bit slower in their recovery, but they will recover and they will produce more leaves. Um, is it okay to make incisions above the node to promote new growth this time of the year? That is quite a trick, Cherie, but it's a good trick. And yes, it will help. So this incision... It's basically cutting into the bark above a node, which is one of those little round growth rings you'll see where buds come from. And if you cut a little section of bark in around there, as the sap moves up, it'll push into the bud instead of passing by the bud and push the bud out and encourage growth. So you can literally stimulate bud growth by doing that sort of thing. It's a little bit of an art form. You do have to be a bit careful but to be quite honest, it's a bit of a cheat and a good way to do it. So, Cherie, well done. And thanks for joining us and thanks for your kind words. Earlier this week, I caught up with a really good friend of mine, Lisa Adams. Lisa um, is an inspirational cook. She's a very talented lady. She lives in New York City. She produces food for some very um, quite famous families uh, who live in that city and um she has got a huge following and it's predominantly because she's so good at taking fresh produce and creating the most delicious meals. In fact, she, she made me up a um, kale salad when I very first met her, kale and, and pine nut salad. It's the best salad I think I've ever had. 
and uh, made me sort of um, really follow her. And she's got a great website called All Good Things, and it's a very holistic way of being healthy. And uh, we've remained great friends for many, many years. And one of the things that I love about Lisa is when I do catch up with her, we often end up in the green market in New York City. And this was a chance to talk today about all the good things that are going on right now in New York when it comes to food. So, Lisa, thank you so much for joining us. It's so lovely to see you again. How's, thank you for having me. Tell me about this. What's going on in New York City at the moment? Now, it, it's what time of the year? What this is? This is spring? Summer solstice is Monday. So we are on the very, very last few days of spring and the very beginning of summer. So produce wise, it's kind of interesting because there's in the farmer's markets, they're trying to like push, push, push that end of spring produce to get ready for the onslaught of, you know, all the tomatoes, all the zucchini, all the strawberries of summer. But I've got some really nice end of spring um, produce things that I've picked up at the market today for us. Now, I I wanted to to talk to you specifically because I know how good that green market is there. And the, the produce, when people think of New York City from other parts of the world, they think of a big city, but they don't realize New York State is an incredibly productive state. And from within 100 miles, there's some amazing producers and it all ends up in the heart of New York City, doesn't it? At the green market. Yeah. I mean, there's so much cooking going on in the city, just with restaurants alone, but the population of families and in-home cooks and private chefs and personal chefs, that whole business, we need to have access because we live on an island. And so all of these farms from New Jersey and New York State and Pennsylvania all drive in. I think it's Monday, Wednesdays, Fridays to the Union Square Farmer's Market. And so it just so happens today's Wednesday. So I went down and picked up a few things and I hadn't been down. Honestly, I hadn't been down during all of COVID. Um, I've been working with a, a family that has a CSA, the Community Supported Agriculture, where wow. you sponsor a farm and you, you know, you give a portion of money and then they prov- provide you a box of vegetables each week. And so that's been really fun to just have a surprise each week of what's going to come. You know, and sometimes it's excess of what they've got to get rid of that restaurants didn't buy or, or markets yeah. didn't buy. Um, but but the, I've got a combination of things from the CSA and then the, the farmer's market today. So show us what you've got. All right, I will. Okay. This, do you know what this is? Mm-mm. These are garlic scapes. So in the Northeast, you have hard garlic, hard yeah. plant garlic. Yeah. And this is the stem and the little flower bud that grows out of that. Yes. And so garlic has two harvests and you have to harvest the scape. So then the plant won't be feeding the stem and the flower bud. And then if, if, if you don't harvest the scape, then the, the bulb will have no flavor and it'll be really tough. So in the springtime, we get these garlic scapes. They leave the bulb in the ground and let that continue to absorb the nutrients. And then they'll harvest that later on in the spring. Um, but garlic scapes, they're kind of like, like an asparagus in texture very oniony, very garlicky, very scalliony. And yep. so I have been making um, garlic scape pesto. I mean, to put it on fish, you can make a salad dressing and it's just this really, really earthy. I mean, it's, you know, you think of garlic, it's really pungent and it's really sharp. Yep. And when you've got this vegetal, you know, element added to it, that green, it just warms it up. It's really nice. It's so that's my, the garlic scapes. So too many people are throwing those away, which it's it's a wasted resource, right? 
Oh my God. Oh, totally. And I didn't realize I didn't, I just learned about them when I got this, this CSA box. I'd never worked with them before. So that's been really fun to have garlic scapes. This, I think you know what that is. Okay. We got kohlrabi here. Yes. Kohlrabi. You want to talk to us about kohlrabi? Mm, so it's one of my favorite vegetables. It's a member of the brassica family. So, you know, that's the, the cabbage, the, the broccoli, etc. But it's very unique because it's the bulb that you're using, right? So it's that modified. Well, you know, I've been using the greens as well. I'll saute those like to make, um, you can put them in a salad, but I saute them like with kale or spinach to have a bunch of greens all warmed up. But they just kind of look like they're alien almost with these tentacles um, and so what are they called? Is it a German turbot turnip? Is that yeah, another name for it? Sometimes I'll call it a German yeah. That's right. Um, and they're really, when they're purple, I love using those in salads because of that pop of color. Mm -hmm. So there's kohlrabi. And how do you, and then, how do you use it, Lise? Um, you know, I, I shred it up with apples yeah. and I make a slaw with, and then mix it into cabbage. So I'll like wilt down the cabbage and then leave the apple and the kohlrabi raw to have the, the juxtaposition of textures. Yeah. So you get that crunch and it's really mild. So it kind of picks up the flavors of whatever else you're cooking. And it also just kind of stays like this textural element. How do, you, how do you do that to me every time? So I was never a kale lover. You brought me a kale salad one day, didn't you? And it was the best, best kale salad I've ever had. It was fantastic. I think about you and that kale salad all the time. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think that's the beauty of vegetables. Like we just need to look at them through somebody else's eyes or somebody else's recipe or somebody else's season, you know. You make it so delicious. What else have you got for uh, Um. French breakfast radishes. Mm. And I, I didn't realize why they were called French breakfast radishes. So the New York Dutch farmers, they would wake up early. And so that would be their breakfast. They'd have a cup of tea and they'd cut off some radishes with some bread and butter and salt. And it was just kind of this nickname. And I love that it's the New York Dutch that had these French breakfast radishes. So these, I leave them raw in salads or I'll slice them up really thinly um, on my mandolin and pickle them. So again, just more like a pretty garnish. I mean, they're just so vibrant to add to a salad or to put on, you know, toast with butter and salt. Yeah. Um, they're kind of bitter and then you can roast them and it'll bring out the natural sweetness and kind of a nutty, nutty flavor. You know, one of the um, things that I remember from the from the Union Square Market is, of course, that majority of the produce there, if not all of it, is organically grown and is, is you know, pesticide chemical free, right? And we take that for granted. You know, we, we go through the market and just, you know, everything, it's sad, everything's in season in New York. We have access to absolutely whatever we, we want. Yeah. But I like to go to the market because it's truly what is growing regionally, you know, that's not been imported from California or Mexico or Brazil or whatever. It's literally yeah. like, you know, 50 miles away. Yeah. And so the, the shorter amount of time from it leaving the ground to get to the market, to get to my, you know, my grocery, you know, my bag, to my kitchen and cook it, it just, it really makes the quality of your food so much fresher. Yeah. So we're just, we're so spoiled to have that market. Absolutely. You, you absolutely are. It blew me away the first time I ever went. Now, what else, what else did you get? I have a few more things. So every single stand that I went to today had shelling peas, mm -hmm. you know, shelling peas. Yeah. So when you take them out of the shell, they're that frozen green. I don't know if you can see it in the light. Yep, I can see you. Like picture. little marbles. Yeah. Um, 
when you go to the market, all of the green frozen peas you see are those shelling peas. And these pods, they don't have, they're not edible. They're too fibrous yep. and they, um, you need to take them out of the shell and then you get the good sweet little peas inside. Yes. And they're delicious. Um, just as they are, they don't Oh my gosh, you cooked. can eat them raw, just a, you know, a quick little blanch. And then to put that into salads, put a, make a green pea risotto. I mean, there's just so many lovely things you can do with them. <laughs> and then the last thing I have, these are beets, right? But do you know what kind of beets they are? They're candy cane beets. Oh, wow. Look at that. They're called Chiogia, C-H-I-O-G-G-I-A, Chiogia. And there was an island off of Italy, it's an, it's an Italian heirloom variety of beets, but there was an island off of Venice called Chiogia, and that's where they were harvested from. And so somebody kept those seeds and planted them all over. And so they're, they're from Italy, but now we can get them in New York State. Yeah, Lisa, you know, one of my favorite memories, there's such a beautiful vegetable, and that link to Italy was when, when you and I did some filming out at the New York uh, Botanical Garden. Do you remember? We're out yeah. there and uh, we're in the community garden and uh, there was a, a whole bunch of senior people who were semi-retired or retired that were teaching children how to grow vegetables because there's not a lot of land available to do that. So this was a place where you could actually rent out a plot. I, I think it was for 20 weeks or something like that. And you had one of these mentors and I was chatting to an Italian chap who had had a garage, who was a mechanic in a garage and his tomatoes were amazing. And I remember smiling and going, they are the best tomatoes I've ever seen. What variety? And he goes, I've got no idea. My, my dad sent them to me from Italy about oh. 30 or 40 years ago. And it, year in, year out, I grow them and I collect the seed and I grow them again. But he goes, it's one of our traditional Italian ones from the village where I came from. And it was just such a... Wow great story and there's so many of those in New York City it's it's probably the broader you know perception of New York is, is this busy you know concrete jungle metropolis of people who are you know high powered but there's very little understanding of just how beautiful places like Central Park are the botanical oh. gardens and, and what people are doing with fresh produce in places like the green market in Union Square You'll have to come back. The New York Botanical Garden, I actually just wrote about it this week, but they have expanded that children's garden where we filmed our, our pilot. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I mean, it's probably tri triple in size and it's got just these gorgeous raised beds of all of this amazing stuff and just the little classrooms of the kids, you know, going all throughout their learning. And then as adults, there are also adult classes going on. So it's, yeah. we'll, we'll have to come back. You'll have to go back. And, I can't wait and to come back. I can't wait for the world to open up and for us to be able to catch up and have a hug again and, and spend some time in some of those wonderful restaurants that uh, that you've taken me to in New York City. Thanks so much. I for love it. I love it. Yes, of course. This show is brought to you by The Garden Gurus and Evergreen Garden Care. Evergreen Garden Care and their market-leading brands are some of the most trusted consumer brands within the garden care market. They produce high-quality garden care products designed to help people create their own green oasis whether it's a garden, a balcony, or potted indoor plants. They want to inspire anyone, anywhere, to be able to easily create and maintain their own garden. To find out more about Evergreen Garden Care, head to www.lovethegarden.com. Well, hello. Isn't she just a wonderful person? One of my favourite people 
um, when it comes to food. There's few people know it as well as Lisa. She really is a gorgeous soul and she's got so many great ideas. So make sure you check out the website. If you're looking for healthy living, healthy eating tips, then Lisa Adams is definitely one of those people that you just need to to make sure you tune in with. She's, she really is lovely. Now, I've got some questions flowing through and it's just some really good ones coming up here. We're, we're getting very close to giving away our five packets of Fothergill seeds pretty soon. So um, this will be your chance to tell us about what your favourite edible plant is to grow this time of the year. It's my chance at the same time to show you what two of my favourites are and why they're so good for you. But before we do that, we'll answer our three questions. Let's go to Margaret in Victoria. She's got a very old peony rose. Now it's a beautiful old woody and uh, woody sort of shrub and it's a, a really really hardy plant the peony rose but if you prune it um quite hard what you will find is it won't flower and that's exactly what's happened for margaret is that it's not flowering at the moment and uh it resulted as a or this is a consequence of pruning now the good thing about it is that once it's produced some new growth it'll flower off the new growth so um, it's you're going to have to let it go through this process and it will come back. Feeding, it's a good idea. And using a controlled release plant food like Osmocote is a really safe way to go. They don't like too much food. They do need regular food on a regular basis. And that's what those controlled release plant foods do. Now, remember, if you like any of the answers we give, of any of the questions that are asked, give us a, a bit of a like and uh, that'll share this with your friends. We're looking to get as many people sharing in our Monday morning get-together as possible. Yvonne is in Bayswater. Now, Bayswater's over here in Perth. Now, she's got flying beetles ravaging her roses. Um, now, now, I'm not sure what the flying beetles would be, to be quite honest. It's a bit of an unusual thing. But um, pruning is coming up. In fact, you've only got about four weeks to you prune your roses. The majority of the foliage would be falling off at the moment anyway. So... My preference is in, to avoid using chemicals is to not do anything but to, to maybe let them take whatever the foliage has left and uh, that'll be fine. That'll do the job. Uh, there's a good question here from Kanga Blue. Now, this has come through our YouTube channel, so don't forget you can view this via YouTube. But um, Kanga Blue's asked if, we could, if he could be directed to or he or she be directed to a qualified person in New South Wales to come and inspect some bottle bush trees that have got an issue. There's obviously some kind of pest or disease present and you're not looking for somebody to come in as a tree lopper. You're looking for somebody to come in as a horticulturalist. The place where you find horticulturalists is in your local garden centre. Now, there are some that will provide services and you can check them out on place, you know, um, facilities such as Gumtree. But the most reliable one you're always going to find is in your local garden centre. And I take some photographs, go and have a talk to local garden centre. They will know what pests are quite active in your local area. And if they're not sure, a lot of the time they'll offer a service where they'll come out and have a look for you. So that should help. So I hope that it, that helps Kanga Blue. And, and it's a good point in question is that um, wherever you are, make sure that you're telling us where you're from and that... Remember, you know, local garden centres employ horticulturalists who are trained and skilled, able to help you with local condition issues. So let's maybe get on to my plant of the week and allow you to start posting your favourite edible plant that you're either growing at the moment or you're harvesting at the moment because there's a lot of stuff that's coming through. I wanted to show you two that 
are beneficial for you in a couple of different ways. One is if you're trying to lose weight, then you want to be using these plants in your garden. If you're trying to reduce your blood sugar levels, you want to be using these plants in your garden. And if you want something that's delicious and crunchy, then there's one of these two that you want to be adding. The first one is this. And have a look. You can see these are flowers on top of a lovely little foliage plant. This is a South American herb. This herb's leaves are 30 times sweeter than sugar. But here's the big catch. They have no calories. So if you add this to your cup of tea to sweeten it, if you use it in cooking to sweeten, you're not going to be putting weight on. You're not going to be increasing your blood sugar levels. And this plant is called stevia. Now, it's not necessarily a herb that you would be planting just at the moment. You'd be thinking about planting it in about four to six weeks' time, depending on where you are. But if you're growing it in your garden, you'll notice these flowers. You can see where the flowers are finished. There's some little brown spots. And that is seed just starting to set and form. So um, that seed that is going to be setting inside those little, little flower buds now is going to be your plants for next year. These do have a bit of a perennial activity. If they're a mature plant and they've got through the winter, um, you can just cut them back and they'll bounce back in the warmer conditions. They love warm conditions. But if you've got them all producing flowers like this, then collecting the flowers as they all turn brown, then cutting the flower heads off and putting them into a paper bag will allow you to collect the seed and plant that in October, November and end up with brand new plants building up in your garden. The more of them you have, the more sugar you've got. Now, this plant is called stevia, okay? And you can buy it now um, through a lot of health stores. Even in the supermarket, you'll buy stevia powder, which is the crushed leaves of this plant, um, and it is a great sweetener. If you would like to... Oh, I just need to... I'm being told I need to remind you, post your, post your favourite edible plants and you will be a winner of one of these packets of seeds. I don't think Michaela's getting a lot of those being posted just at the moment, so it's your chance to, to win. Get into it. This podcast is brought to you by Still and Evergreen Garden Care. Still is Australia's most trusted brand of garden power tools, backed by 95 years of German engineering excellence. To get your hands on their range, visit your local Still dealer today or visit still.com.au. This particular plant here, this is Yarkon. Now, these were roots or tubers that have been taken from the roots of a plant in my garden. I've literally broken them away like that. You can see they grow down in the soil. This plant is a source, a very, very good source of fibre, and it is a non-soluble fibre. In fact, it's a non-soluble fibre that's rich in what they call a non-soluble polysaccharide, a type of sugar that, instead of being absorbed into your bloodstream, um, isn't. It actually goes into your into your system. You can taste it. It tastes sweet, but and it's crunchy like an apple. Um, maybe a cross between an apple and a pear is a good description. But here's the thing about this particular plant. These tubers, because they're full of fibre, they store in your gut and they take sugars out of your system. And that reduces your overall blood sugar levels. So by incorporating this into your diet on a regular basis, you reduce your blood sugar levels, you actually lose weight. So it's been proven that just a regular intake of a tuber about that big every day, so it's about 40 grams or so, per day in your diet 
every day over a month will help you lose on average around about a kilo a week. It's a really significant effect. And once your body's reached its natural equilibrium, it'll be fine. It'll, it'll kind of balance itself out. But Yarkon is a plant that you can be planting in your garden now. It is going dormant, but this is actually when you get them and you break up the plants and you take the corm. So these are tubers and they grow into the ground. These are swollen, modified roots. But the plant grows through what's called a corm. And it's, a, it's basically a, a, wooden, a woody shoot that's full of buds inside it. And you can actually break this up, plant and get like multiple plants from the one parent plant, if that makes sense. Hopefully I'm explaining myself properly. The same time you're breaking up the parent plant, you're obviously collecting all these tubers, which are providing you food on an ongoing basis. Now, the interesting thing is that you can't leave them out of uh, cold storage for any more than a couple of days. They will start to shrivel. They lose their moisture. Um, so the best thing to do is to pop them in the crisper in the fridge and then just slice them and, and you eat them raw. They're delicious raw. You probably can cook them. You certainly can dry them and crush them and use the powder, which has a bit of a sweetening sort of flavor to it as well. But they're best eaten fresh. And now's the time to be getting your hands on some plants because you'll be able to break them up and share them around. It's called Yarkon. This is called Stevia. These are two plants that you can grow in your garden, that you should grow in your garden. They will grow in pots, best in the ground, and now's the time to be doing something about it. Hopefully that helps. That's my plants of the week. Now, <clears throat> excuse me, um, let's have a bit of a look through. Okay, here's our winners. Leanne said peas are her favourite, and there's some peas. So, Leanne, we'll be sending you those off. Um, Tala said lemons, and I've got heaps of lemons at, at my place at the moment. Roz has said her favourite. That's for you, Tala. That's um, that's the carrots from Mr. Fothergill's. Um, sweet corn is another one of my favourites, but Roz has said her favourite is tamarillo. Margaret said um, carrots, so we'll send you some carrots. Um, there's lettuce and tomatoes. Now, you'd be collecting tomato seed now, but you wouldn't be planting a tomato seed just at this moment. Jan Morrissey said her favourite seed is for sweet peas, which she's planted and she grows every year. And Joyce says that it's pumpkin for her. So congratulations to all of you. You've basically just got your hands on uh, some fabulous um, seeds, packet seeds, that Michaela will be getting off to you a bit later today. Visit the Garden Guru's online store and browse through a collection of high-quality, German-made wolf garden tools. You'll also find a range of books with information to help create and maintain a beautiful garden. You can also access the online store on the Garden Guru's Facebook page. Now, let's move through. We've got a few more questions coming through. We've actually gone a whole hour. I can't believe it. Um, and, um, and I'll answer this for you and then um, you can hear my voices going, so we might wind it up. Uh, Yvonne is from Shepparton in Victoria. And she was wondering if and when you can trim an old variegated maple tree. Well, it should have dropped its leaves by now, Yvonne. So now is the perfect time with all deciduous trees to get in and shape them. And the reason is that you can see inside the, the shape of the tree. So often reducing um, the, the small sticky growth that's going up the main branches as they sort of as they, they form shape is a very good way to direct a lot of energy to new growth going up, so sending your tree up, getting a better shape, overall shape. Um, now is definitely the time to do it and it will do them a lot of good but you'll see the benefits come springtime, early summer when they start growing. Wow, 
We've asked a lot of questions. We've shared a lot of information, and I hope you've enjoyed today's show. Um, for those people who've won packet seats, we'll be sending those off to you. Um, Michaela will reach out to you. Remember, you can always jump on our website to catch up on previous stories from The Garden Gurus. That's thegardengurus.tv. Or don't forget our YouTube channel, which is a great source of that sort of information. Also, um, we have got... Uh, what have we got this weekend? We've got Explore TV. I hope you've been catching Explore TV. We've had uh, three episodes. This is coming up to be the last episode filmed on Norfolk Island. And it is a remarkable place with an incredible environment. And it's a great holiday destination, particularly for those of us who are living in locations on the East Coast because it's so close. Check your local guides for the time where it's playing near you. And if there's something you missed from today's show, maybe you joined us halfway through and you'd like to watch the whole um, session, the, the Garden Gurus live session, best way to do it is to jump up. You can catch this episode and previous episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Audible. And I'm looking forward to seeing you again next Monday at 12pm Australian Eastern Standard Time. That's 10am over here on the West. And we'll look forward to seeing you here on Facebook. Happy gardening, everybody. Have a great week. The Garden Gurus is back this weekend. Make sure you check out your local TV guide for your local time. I've got my home, I've got my rig, and I'm ready to go. Be